Well, we're glad you're here tonight. Thank you for coming. We're, uh, we're not too far away from concluding the study of biblical separation. We're going to conclude with, I think, some interesting uh, topics that I think you'll find fascinating. Before we begin our journey tonight, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word and for your people. Uh, it's our desire as we wait for the rapture of the church, which we sense is near, that uh, we would be sound and stable in what we believe. We would know why we believe what we believe. And we would certainly keep whatever concepts we have of any doctrine, including separation, within the realm and context of the Word of God. Uh, pray that you would use this study tonight to help that, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we, uh, we said uh, last time we were together that uh, the third type of separation is there are times when you have to separate from another church, from other churches. And... Uh, there are six observations we want to make in spotting a heretical church, and, uh, and I hope you'll find this helpful. I think these are pretty uh, well-structured and things that we need to know. First of all, uh, heretical instruction will feature another gospel. Another gospel. And particularly what I mean by that, what Paul meant by that, when he said, if anybody comes preaching you another gospel, he meant another of a different kind of gospel other than the pure grace of God. I think this is a very, very important point to recognize because a heretic will present a message of salvation that is different from the pure grace of God. You can count on the fact that someone that is presenting another type of gospel that's different is going to really try to merge in their works, and they will try to bridge that in to their concept of the gospel of God. Now, the gospel of God that we're going through in Romans is very clear on this point. I want to show you just a couple of passages from Romans. First of all, if you go to chapter 3, a text we're going to look at Sunday night, and this is a very, very, very powerful passage we're going to look at Sunday night. But in Romans chapter 3 and verse 27, Paul is really uh, knocking the possibility of works being connected to grace salvation uh, because it would cause man to be able to boast. And he says in Romans 3.27, Where then is boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. In other words, it's faith in Jesus Christ that saves. One other text I show you from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 11. This was one of Mr. Miles' favorite verses in the entire epistle to the Romans. In Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, it is so clear and, uh, and this was, of course, a verse that really affected C.I. Schofield, it affected Lewis Berry Chafer, it affected John Miles, it affected me, and hopefully it affects you. In Romans 11:6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. You cannot have works in grace. It does not fit. It will not merge together. Therefore, you can spot another type of gospel Whenever you hear somebody starting to bring in their works, and it can be subtle, but you keep your ears open, and that's a real key to a church that is moving in a right direction, because the pure grace of God says there's not one thing we can do in and of ourselves to be saved except cast all of our faith on Jesus Christ to save us. Anybody who presents a different gospel, it's faith plus your works. Faith plus you've got a promise to do this. Faith plus this commitment. Faith in this act. It's another gospel not uh, found according to the grace of God. So that's the first thing that you want to look for. Secondly, heretical instruction and institutions are demonic. They're demonic. And people need to understand this. Especially we need to understand it. I don't think most religious people out there care. 
But the fact is, when you get into a system or a church where they're not teaching the pure truth of God, it's not just we're having a difference of religious opinion. We're talking about something demonic here, something that Satan is actually involved in in keeping people from understanding the truth of God. The truth of God will set people free. You can be sure of this. The evil one does not want people set free by the truth of God. Therefore, there are a, a variety of religious institutions and systems and churches that are playing religion, but they're not really presenting the whole counsel of God and teaching the truth of God, and this is demonic. Uh, people need to realize that uh, ceremonies that are religious ceremonies that are not really communicating the truth, this is demonic stuff that's going on there. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 4, the doctrine of demons, and that in the latter days there will be seducing spirits. And we know that this, uh, this uh, fellowshipping with demons, Paul said to the Corinthians, you have no, nothing to do with that. You don't go to those religious services because there are demonic overtones to that. The third observation is heretical instruction and institutions are led by liars. Now that's pretty harsh, but it's true. I want you to go to 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 is really where I want to focus on. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Now, there are religious leaders and religious places that are destructive, sensual, greedy, and led by a bunch of liars. And the truth is, if there is a church that is not really interested in what does the truth of the Scripture say, we want people to know the truth of the Word of God, the written Word of God. If that's not the goal of the church, then you have a church led by liars. And the reason why I say that is because they have their own agenda. The agenda of the church should be the people of God need to carefully understand the written Word of God. God's given us 66 books. The people of God need to know those 66 books. So if you get a church and they're going this direction and that direction, any other direction other than let's bring a clear understanding of the written word to the people of God, you've got some type of distortion that's taking place there. You have some type of deceit that's taking place there. And I don't know what's necessarily happening there, but I don't believe it's, it's honorable to the Lord. Now in 2 Peter chapter three verses, or 2, verses 1 to 3, there are two grammatical points worth noting. First of all, two words are used to describe these kinds of people, false prophets, false teachers who give false instruction. Now you see, these are people who are religious and they look pious and they sound good and they're eloquent, but they are false prophets, false teachers giving false instruction. Secondly, the word destruction, which is repeated three times in three verses. Notice verse 1, destructive heresies bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And then it's brought out again in verse 3, and their destruction is not asleep. That word that's repeated three times is a word connected to a loss of eternal life. It's a word connected to hell. So what Peter is revealing here, which I think is so critical, is that there are religious institutions 
that are led by religious instructors and giving instruction that is not interested in accurately presenting the truth of the written word of God, and they are actually leading people in destructive ways. They are actually leading people to hell. Now, as believers, we want to stay far away from those kinds of things, those kinds of people, those kinds of places. We want to be people who are focused clearly on understanding the written revelation of God. That becomes our responsibility. That's what the job of the church actually is. Now, the fourth observation is heretical instruction and institutions oppose divine authority. Oppose divine authority. I want you to go to Jude, if you would, please. Notice in verse 8, Jude and verse 8, we read, Yet in the same manner these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. Now, this is talking about people in the context of religion, these are people in the context of uh, people who want to be leaders in religion, but they reject authority. And that, that whole concept of rejecting authority is they are not interested in the authority of the written word of God. They're not interested in the truth of God. They reject that. They're interested in their own uh, religious uh, ideals and goals, which you may or may not even know what they are. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why people uh, sneak into the arena of religion. What we need to realize is when a person refuses to submit to the Word of God, when a person refuses to submit to the authority of the Word of God or to the communication of the Word of God, it's, 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 it's rejecting God. I mean, that, that's what's being rejected there. So, so we're not just talking about here, I don't like this personality or that personality. It is actually rejecting the truth of God. Now, as believers, you don't want to associate with people who go to the religious places that could care less about the written word of God. And I've seen this. I've talked to people, and I know this is true. There are many people, they go to church, and you say, now, what about the understanding of doctrine? What about the understanding of the written word of God? Ah, we don't need that. No, 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 no. We're here because uh, we're entertained. This is not cutesy in the mind of God. They're opposing divine authority. And I uh, personally think that when you have a person who consistently and persistently is in that mindset, I'm not ever interested in what doctrine is true. I'm not ever interested in what the Word of God actually says. Uh, I don't really care about my doctrine and what I believe. I just go to church because I enjoy being there. I think at some point you have to say, you know what, if you're going to just continue to oppose the truth of God, I'm sorry, but uh, I'm not going to have a lot of fellowship with you. Because uh, you're going on a different direction than certainly I want to go. I want to go in a direction where I understand God and respond to the Word of God. Now, the fifth observation is heretical instruction and institutions are spiritually dead and produce no good or real fruit. Verse 12 says, These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast when they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted. That's describing people who go to church. People who go to church who are dead and they produce no good fruit. They really don't have spiritual vibrancy to them. They don't have any solid roots. They're tossed to and fro by this doctrine, that doctrine, this fanciful idea, that fanciful idea. 
They're not there because they understand the truth. They don't want to know the truth. They're not interested in that. Uh, They're not really focused on the written word of God. And when you get a system like that and you call it church, it's evil. It's just evil. It's not what God wants. It's not what God uh, certainly demands in the written word of God. And and the sky's the limit in these days of churches that are just, just like this. Uh, A sixth observation is heretical instruction and institutions appear to be very pious and religious. Now, I want you to know, uh, go to 2 Corinthians 11, if you would, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. We read in 2 Corinthians 11, 13 to 15, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their deeds or according to their works. There are people in the arena of religion who appear to be very pious and very religious. They appear to be loving God, but they are satanic agents. And the key to spotting these agents, it always comes down to the same thing. They drift away from the written word of God. And uh, they focus more on views, opinions, denomination, interest things, uh, moral things, social things. I mean, it, it always comes down, though, to the same core issue. They're drifting away from giving God's people a careful understanding of the written word of God. Now, we're a church that teaches doctrine, and I remember when I was first in school studying doctrine that uh, it was lighting up for me, like many of you said, it lit up for you. I mean, you start going through these doctrines, and all of a sudden, man, things start making sense, and the bulbs start going on. The Holy Spirit is alive and starts bringing life to your spirituality. That's a great thing that's produced by God. And I remember sitting in a class in my freshman year, and we had to take what was called freshman doctrine, and that was before we got into the, to the various ologies that would come later. But it was an overview of all of those doctrines. And I remember sitting in that class going, why isn't this taught in the church? I don't get this. This is exactly what is needed in the church. What in the world is going on in the church? Because these doctrines are the thing that makes sense of things, and why is it that people who go to church don't hear these things? This seems to me to be what exactly should be taught in the church. Well, you get out into churches and you find that there's just a lot of stuff that goes on uh, under the auspices of church. And, uh, and very little of it has to do with carefully understanding the written word of God. But that is the mandate that has been given to the church. So you can be sure of this. You can spot a religious institution or church that's beginning to go awry when you see them begin to move away from the written word of God, and they start emphasizing other things other than that. You are on a course then that is a disastrous course, and that's the point where you have to say, I make a separation. I am not going to spend the short years of my life in a place where I'm not going to carefully understand the written word of God. Life's too short. I don't have that much time, and therefore I want to be in a place where they take God's word seriously and they communicate it uh, effectively. Now, Dr. Ernest Pickering made the following observations about uh, institutions that begin to apostatize or begin to move away from the written word of God. First of all, he said apostasy is very, very serious. 
And what he said people need to realize is God's anger burns against apostasy. God is angry at this. He does not look favorably on people moving away from the truth. Secondly, apostasy is definable and discoverable. And when you carefully uh, understand the word of God, you can begin to discover, boy, that thing's beginning to move away from what's true. Uh, The more we understand of sound doctrine, the more we're able to spot and discover things that are starting to veer away from what the Word of God actually says. We'll give some illustrations. I'm not sure we'll get to them tonight, but we certainly will in the next uh, couple of weeks. Thirdly, apostasy is pervasive and progressive. It's like a leaven or a gangrene. It starts working and it starts spreading until the whole is spoiled. Uh, I saw that or knew of this that happened in a church in eschatology. Somebody got in with some harebrained idea that the church was going into the tribulation. They started there. Well, then they started propagating this idea. Nobody had the uh, wits about them to be able to shut the person up. So they just start doing their diabolical work all through the church. And, uh, and ultimately, the whole church becomes very, very confused. It just progresses. Everybody in the church was confused. They didn't know if they could ex- expect or had any hope of not going into the tribulation. They just didn't know because no one knew what they even believed or why they believed it. That's exactly how apostasy works. It starts and it starts spreading and it progresses and it ultimately will try to spoil the whole. Fourthly, apostasy awaits judgment. There are no good passages that honor moving away from the truth of the written word. You'll never find one. Uh, In fact, any text of scripture that deals with drifting from the written word of God is serious, serious business. And God says, I'll hold that one accountable. In fact, that's what he says to a teacher. Be not many among you teachers, knowing you're going to receive the stricter judgment. That's pretty serious business. Uh, He wants uh, his ministers studying to rightly divide the scriptures so they can handle them in a way that is accurate and true in accordance with the word. Fifthly, apostasy will come to full fruition during the tribulation with with Babylon. Uh, I personally believe the great ultimate apostasy is the Islamic religion. And I personally believe that's going to flourish full force in the tribulation. I think you're seeing right now this religion is spreading out like a, like a wildfire all throughout uh, the world uh, because this will be the final apostate religion that God literally is going to destroy uh, at the end of the tribulation. Now, it's the responsibility of every one of us as believers. It's the responsibility of the church to discover, to spot heresy, to denounce heresy, to denounce heretics. Separation is demanded by God. And, and some people say, well, it doesn't seem... So loving if we do this. Well, I remind you of this. When Paul writes his last letter, 2 Timothy, he names people. He names them. In the written word of God, he said, now that one did me a lot of harm. These two I've delivered over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Uh, This one forsook me having loved the present world. It is obvious that Paul's not saying, let's just all love them and forget about this. I mean, this is serious business in the mind of God. Now, When you read a text like Psalm 26, 4 and 5, and I want you to go there, Psalm 26, 4 and 5. And here's what uh, David said. And David, of course, was a man who loved the Lord. And in Psalm 26, 4 and 5, David says these words, Psalm 26, 4 and 5. I do not sit 
with deceitful men, nor will I go with pretenders. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. Now, it's obvious King David was a separatist. It becomes obvious when you read that text of Scripture that he made a decision, I will not, I will not spend my time or life associating with people who are people who are deceitful pretenders. I will not do it. I will not associate with them. I will not fellowship with them. In fact, I'll cut off fellowship. I won't even sit down with them. And I want you to notice that uh, in the text he uses the noun men, which is a plural noun, and then he also uses the noun assembly, which speaks of a group gathering. I do not sit with deceitful men. So I, I, I select individuals that I will not sit with, and I will not go to the assembly of evildoers. Now what you're learning here about King David, who was, by the way, a man after God's own heart, is you're learning that he spotted people. He spotted phony people and phony religious systems and phony places, and he said, I'll have nothing to do with them. I'll not go there. I'll not be with them. I'll not associate with them. I'm not going to travel with them. They're not going to travel with me. I'm selective in who I'm going to spend my time with. That's what David's saying. And I'll not associate with pretenders. I'm not going to be in their world. They're not going to be in my world. In other words, David was a biblical separatist. And this is exactly the point of the doctrine. Now, in wrapping up this study of biblical separation, we'll begin to wrap it up tonight. We probably will get pretty close to doing it next Wednesday. There are four concluding considerations on this matter of separation. First of all, there are certain things from which every believer is expected to separate himself or herself from. Uh, matters of sin that are plainly and clearly stated in the Word of God, false doctrine or heresy are things that God expects every single believer to make a separatist decision. Now, because of the fact that we're not perfect people, and because of the fact that we have an old flesh and sin nature, there will be times when we will not separate from sin, we'll sin. But when that moment comes then we need to get right to God in confession so that it will not fester and come up to some issue where it has to be judged. We need to get right to the Lord and confess that sin. When we do, he's faithful and just to forgive it and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is part of making the decision to separate from the sin. You're separating it because you're putting it under the blood of Jesus Christ, and then you're going on for the glory of God from that point. It is imperative that separation be based on that which is biblically written. This is, I cannot stress enough, and in the next illustrations, we're going to prove the point. It is, it is imperative that separation be based on that which is biblically written, because usually separatists are not separating on things biblically written. For the most part, people who are separatists are separating on their convictions, and they're separating about strong convictions that they have, and it becomes very difficult for these people to ever draw a distinction between their own convictions or what the Bible actually says. And it gets all clouded up. And sometimes people get their opinions and they actually think that's what the Bible teaches when in fact it doesn't teach that. Opinions aren't necessarily biblical. So what we must always be careful to do is make our separation stick in accordance with the written word of God. I think a key valid question that we want to ask as a God-honoring separatist is this. Can I base this decision of separation on clear, definitive principles from the Word of God? You're on safe ground if you ask that question. 
Can I, can I base my decision of separation on clear, biblical, definitive principles of the Word of God? And even though a separatist is often emotional, it doesn't make them biblical. What, what we want to do in sound theology and doctrine is make sure when we choose to separate, it's biblical, not just emotional or irrational. Now, the second principle is leadership must make separatist decisions to protect the purity of the church. Now, let's uh, go to a... We've already gone to 1 Corinthians. Let's go over to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Notice verses 14 to 16. Jesus Christ is addressing churches. And this one's Pergamum. In Revelation chapter 2, 14. But I have a few things against you, because... You have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. Thus you have also have some who in the same way hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, or else I'm coming to you quickly. Now drop down to verses 20 to 23 in the church of Thyatira. We read, But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray. So they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent. She does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, I will cast her upon a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Now that's strong language that the purity of the church needs to be protected. Now, we just had to wrestle through this in a recent example as leaders here in Texas Corners Bible Church because, for years, Texas Corners Bible Church has been a place that permits elections to be held here as uh, one of the precincts. The problem we had is that things are now beginning to get weird in politics, and things are beginning to get strange with elections that have some serious moral, moral ramifications. And if you, if you vote one way, you can vote for what pleases God, and these moral issues are now coming on ballots. If you vote another way, you vote for that which is contrary to the word and will of God. We were very concerned as a board, do we, do we separate ourselves from, do we allow this to go on in the church? Do we actually allow people that are satanic, to walk into Texas Corners Bible Church and vote for something that is an abomination in the sight of God? Do we allow that on a property that supposedly is dedicated to the Lord and dedicated to the righteousness and the holiness of, a, of the written word of God? And finally we said, no, we're not going to allow it anymore. So we contacted the township and we told them just that. We said, uh, we are not going to permit uh, Texas Corners Bible Church to be used as a precinct anymore. Uh, for voting, and we're going to tell you why. We told them exactly why. There are now moral things that are coming into ballots. We do not want to be a place where a church dedicated to God, where a church dedicated to the scriptures. We do not want to be a facility uh, that uh, allows people to come in and vote in our facility for things that God would consider to be an abomination. Well, we got a response, as you can read. Uh, we, we had some responses to this. One, the town supervisor drove right over here and went into my office for one. That was one time. And then we received phone calls uh, since, and the arguments have gone something like this. Well, all the other churches are letting us do it. 
All the other churches are letting us use their facility. All the other churches are saying, it's okay, this is your civic duty. And we said we have a duty that is far greater than a civic duty. We have a responsibility to the living holy God. We are not going to permit things in this church that will be voted on, that will be immoral, that can kill babies, that can bring homosexuality uh, into the... We will not tolerate it in this church. We're done. So we had to make a real strong separatist decision just recently that uh, from this day forward we'll have some, I'm sure, far-reaching manifestations. Why did we do that? Because we're just a bunch of guys at a board meeting thinking, well, what can we dream up to handle tonight? I mean, most of us don't even like the meetings that we have to go to all the time. So why, why, did, we have to, why did we do that? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are trying to protect the purity of the church. We want this church kept pure. And we do not want things coming in or creeping in that could in any way defile it in the sight of God. We're not concerned about how we're viewed so much by the township. Although we try to get along with the township, we try to obey the laws, we try to do what's right, but we are concerned very much about how we're viewed by God. And we never want God to say, that is a leavened church. So therefore we said, and I don't know if you vote here as your precinct, but you won't be voting here anymore. Uh, Do you have any questions or comments about uh, what we've covered here tonight? We're going to stop here.